Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of Cavern of Secrets. I think we're like 13 or 14. I don't know. I've lost count. We're having such a good time over here. You can't count numerically when you're having a great time making a podcast. episode this is a great episode uh we had a wonderful guest on today you are going to really like this interview i think or our chat uh i don't know it's been a tough week it's been a real tough week so i'm sending out i don't know is there good vibes to send out i don't know i'm not feeling a lot of good vibes right now uh from the universe But I have managed to surround myself with smart, empathetic, funny people. And so that has made this week kind of bearable. Uh, And I hope that everyone listening to this is taking care of themselves and not watching violence and death on the Internet. If you can avoid it. I'm just going to say this is uh, this is mainly directed at my fellow white listeners of this podcast. I've noticed a thing this week. And the thing that happens anytime we have to have this conversation around police brutality and blackness and police killing black people with seeming impunity, with any kind of gun violence, too, this happened around the Pulse nightclub shooting. I've noticed that a lot of white people, in that sense, a lot of straight people, a lot of straight white men, but straight white women as well, become very performative with a type of grief that is like, I feel helpless. I don't know what to do. What can I do? And we tend to ask these questions of black people, of other people of color, of queer people. Here's the thing. We got to stop doing that. We got to stop asking the most marginalized people to educate us, to make us feel better, to make us feel less guilty. It's not the wave, you guys. Like, we got to stop doing that. Because let me tell you about a little website that I love. It's called Google.com. Very wonderful website. Don't know if you've been. Would suggest you type that into your browser. See what comes up. There's so, 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 so much information. Literally, the information superhighway at your fingertips for the most part. So. Instead of saying you feel helpless and wanting people to educate you, you could, like, go educate yourself. Hell, you could ask maybe, like, another white person. Maybe they have some resources for you. If you are a white person who's read a couple books, who, like, knows some shit, who pays attention to the news and to politics and to society and to all of that stuff. Like, and if you see some people being dumb on your like mom's Facebook wall or people being dumb on your Facebook wall, educate those people, take them into the DMS, give them stuff to read. Don't force people who are already suffering to suffer more at the hands of 
the dumbness. Do you know what I'm saying? I hope this is coming across right. I just remember like being at a comedy show like the day after the shooting at Pulse nightclub happened and a dude, a straight white man got on stage and was like, I'm so sad. I feel so helpless. I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do. And I was just like, yo, I know what you can go do. Go talk to your fucking boys when they say shit. Don't let your friends, don't let your family, don't let any people run amok saying some racist, homophobic, sexist, transphobic shit. Like, that's the number one thing you can do. That's like the number one step of putting the work in is not allowing those people to perpetuate those kind of violent opinions, those kind of violent ideas. Like, fucking nip that shit in the bud. You can do it. You can tell your bros, like, that they can't make rape jokes. You can tell your friends that they can't say racist shit. You can tell your family that just because they know a nice cop doesn't mean that the prison industrial complex isn't real and that it's flawed and that it's fucked up and that cops are doing some fucked up shit. We all have a lot of, we all, white people. White people, that's who I'm talking to. I can't address other people. I'm talking to you. We got a lot of work to do. And honestly, doing the unlearning and then doing the relearning It's like not even that much work comparatively to the work that black activists are doing, to the work that in our own city in Toronto that BLMTO is doing. Those people are out here doing the fucking work. And so to ask yourself and to ask the people around you to maybe unlearn some fucking racist, sexist, et cetera shit and to relearn, to relearn the kind of struggle that any marginalized person is facing That's so small. It's so tiny, but it's so big in the grand scheme of things. So, like, that's where you can start. Don't be out here, like, on the internet, on, like, Twitter, whatever, talking about you feel helpless, you don't know what to do, there's nothing you can do. I'm telling you, you can read a book, you can fucking disseminate that knowledge to other white people, people in your family, people in your friends, people in your social circle, etc. If you got money, donate that money. Unchman's going to put a link on our page to the, like, GoFundMes of Philando Castile, of Alton Sterling, to BLMTO. Like, you can give those people money, and they can continue doing the incredibly important work that they're doing outside of colonial white structures, oppressive, violent structures. And then we got to do the work within these structures to get rid of them. People act like it's hard. People act like they can't do anything. That is not true. It is not true. Honestly, slide into my DMs. You know what I mean? If you want to talk about this, if you're a white person, you want to talk about this, slide on in. I'm happy to have the conversation. I don't know everything. I'm also slowly going through the process of unlearning and relearning, but I do know some stuff and I'm happy to send you anything, articles, books, whatever. Just stop putting that on other marginalized people. Stop putting that on black people. Stop wanting people to perform for you. It's not cool. Today's episode is great. We talked to a wonderful woman. Her name is Eternity Martis. She's a Toronto journalist, writer, and she has a great article coming out on Hazlitt on this very GD website today, the same day that this podcast episode is coming out, about black history, black history being Canadian history, about how that fits into educational structures, into institutional structures. We talk a lot about museums. 
really mind blowing, really cool. Um, yeah. Honestly, everyone, take care of yourselves. I don't know. I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have anything to end. I don't have any levity or anything funny to end this with, uh, other than I really hope you enjoy this episode. All right. See you in a couple weeks. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming in on this fine Sunday morning. You're welcome. You're welcome. Appreciate you being here. Do you want to maybe like tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I live in Toronto. I'm a journalist. Um, I went to Ryerson to do my master's of journalism, which I just finished. Thank Mm God. Congrats, Um, man. Thank you. And I write for Vice. I've mm-hmm. written for Salon, Huffington Post, Complex and the Fader. So right now I'm kind of just freelancing. Nice. Um, yeah, because I'm just out of school. And yeah, that's it. All I do is write. I just sit at home and that's it. That's amazing. That's yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like uh, you sometimes meet people who are like, well, I want to be like a journalist or a writer or a musician or an artist or whatever. And it's like, well, are you, are you sitting at home doing that? Thing that you wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've always wanted to. So I wanted to be a writer from mm-hmm. when I was like nine. And then I did a few writing classes and then I went to the uh, to Western University mm-hmm. and I took like a certificate in writing. And like the same kind of comment from all the profs were like, you will not make any money writing. So I'm like, okay, let me try the next best thing and go into journalism. At mm-hmm. least that way I'll have a little bit of money, maybe no benefits ever, <laughs> but at least it's something. So yeah, I get to combine the both of them and it's kind of nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, journalism is and any kind of writing I think is a tough gig. You have to be you have to be willing to like really sit down and I find it hard to work without a very like structured environment where someone's like, "Hey, like you have to do this within this like time frame, like get this shit done." And I'm yeah. always so I have a lot of friends who are freelance writers and I like find it very admirable. Thank you. It It's hard because, like, I need the structure, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll wake up and I'll be writing. But, like, I mean, my my grandfather, so he's – my grandfather is, is Pakistani, and mm-hmm. he's very, like, about that, like, brown father mentality where he's, like, <laughs> you, like, like, what are you doing all day? Like, are you sleeping all day? And I'm, like, no, I wake up at 8 in the morning. Sometimes I work straight till 3 in the morning. Like, I don't have an office job. And then sometimes it kind of drives you crazy mm-hmm. because, like – you will eat excessively. Mm-hmm. Like in the last two years, I think I've gained about 20 pounds just sitting at home writing and yep. eating. But like you have to be at home yeah. because you can't like where else are you going to go, right? Yeah. So yeah, but it's been okay. Aside from the 20 pounds, everything else has been all right. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. <laughs> Thank you. It's funny too though. I feel like that's another weird thing of like, especially in the sort of like time we're in right now where so many people do that kind of like freelancey. Like, a lot of people's work is not constructed around a, like, nine-to-five situation. And, like, justifying that to a generation of people like the generation our parents come from or, like, all of that stuff, it's, like, hard. Do you know what I mean? Because they really are like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I'm just (laughs) freelancing. And, like, I'm applying for all these jobs. Like, I'm just applying for the Mm -hmm. sake of applying. But, like, deep down, I don't – I'm not ready to work Mm -hmm. yet. Like, I just graduated. But, like, I think you can sustain yourself off freelance. But Mm -hmm. it's, like, one of those things where, like, your mind has to constantly Mm -hmm. be going, right? Like, I have, like, a dollar store note 
notebook mm-hmm. that I carry everywhere. Yep. In case, like, the moment strikes, I need to write down an idea or something. But, like, you're constantly going, and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like you'll make, what, maybe a couple hundred for a story, but then you won't see that for a few months. So you're kind of, like, living off, like, I don't know, peanuts and mm-hmm. stale crackers yep. for, like, 30 days, right? And it feels kind of crazy to, like— but you have to do it, right? But it feels crazy to chase someone around for, like, a couple hundred bucks. We are like, no, 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 no. You said it was coming now. And, like, because I know, like, I've done, like, a bit of freelance work. And, like, anyone I know that subsists off of it is, like, it's really degrading to, like, <laughs> run after someone for a couple hundred bucks. But then it's also, like, yo, I need it's my phone bill. That's, like, my, exactly. that's any one of my bills. That's part of my rent. You know what I mean? Like. Exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, it's it's fun. But yeah. I mean, like I used to watch Sex and the City. I still watch it. If I'm mm-hmm. having like a bad day, I'll watch Sex and the City. But like I always wanted to be like Carrie Bradshaw because mm-hmm. she would like go to her computer and write one story <laughs> per episode. And I was like, wow, like that is excellent. I want to do that. And like it doesn't work. <laughs> really like, cool. Especially if you ever know someone who lives in New York City. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're paying the rent of like a nice like bachelor apartment in toronto for like living with five other people (laughs) it's like it's so sex and the city does make me laugh because it's like i mean it was i mean i think we could get into something about sex and the city and how it's been sort of turned into something that's like oh that was a dumb show and it's like i don't know at the time like i mean of course it's like of a very certain time but yeah i think that people sort of hate on it more now than like than before. Yeah. There's something about the misery of the show that I really enjoy. Like, mm-hmm. I can identify with the misery mm-hmm. of every single character. Like, mm-hmm. either being broke or just bad relationships. And, like, that's the fun part. I mean, it was a little bit cheesy. But it was one of those shows you can, like, if you're having a bad day, you, like, sit down, mm-hmm. you watch it, and, like, you're just, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hazlitt is publishing a piece of yours tomorrow. Yes, yes. And that is around uh, sort of black history and black art and how that is taught or not taught in schools. Do you want to, like, get into that a bit? Sure. So this is a story I started writing two years ago, and I wrote it for a feature writing class when I was at Ryerson. Mm -hmm. And we were looking for an idea for a feature that Mm -hmm. we would work on the entire semester. And I had no idea what I was going to write about, had nothing, went on the computer, went on the internet, uh, and just found this stuff. I typed in, like, black history and preservation. It just, Mm -hmm. like, popped up in my mind, found that there had been a panel about uh, the future of these sites and that they couldn't find anyone to kind of preserve them after the descendants retired. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I took the idea to class and I ended up running with it. And so... The story essentially is about what happens when the descendants who run these abolitionist sites and museums that we have in Ontario, what happens when they die or they retire? Mm -hmm. Because we don't really teach any kind of black history in schools. So how are students going to even be interested in wanting to preserve something that maybe they don't even know about? Like, I think even people don't even know that we have actual, like, pieces of history and broken down sites in Toronto let alone people don't even know we have slavery history here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was what the story was about. And I spoke to some descendants from some of the museums in southwestern Ontario. So I went to uh, Windsor, and there there's a Sandwich First Baptist Church. Um, And I went to Buxton, the Buxton Museum, 
and Black Mecca in Chatham. And uh, I spoke to their descendants to see mm-hmm. what was going on. And I spoke to some teachers um, who kind of told me the situation about Afrocentric schools and why kids are not getting interested in black history. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy to think about the curriculum that we learn in Ontario. I mean, I can't speak for the rest of Canada because it is all provincial or whatever. But it's like you really have to go out on your own if you want to learn something that isn't like the story of the Underground Railroad. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And it's yeah. like that is such a classically Canadian thing to do. Like, we are so nice. Do you know what I mean? We did it. <laughs> yeah. We like helped people escape to freedom. That's it. That's the history of black people in Canada. And you're like, no, that's that can't be where it started or ended. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean that that we helped black people, you know, black slaves from the states come to freedom. That's something I don't think I learned or that anyone I knew actually learned. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us knew that Canada played a role which is really shocking. And so, like, I mean, I think for most of us, like, I mean, I went to Catholic school, oh, but I grew it. up, <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> um, I grew up and, like, we we learned about, like, the fur trade and um, mm-hmm. the, the early settlers, and but there was nothing about black history. Like, I don't even think I can recall one conversation. I think it may be, like, we talked about Martin Luther King Jr. like once mm-hmm. and Harriet Tubman once. Mm-hmm. And those are American examples. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing Canadian. And, like... I don't know if it's maybe been the rise, like there's been a parallel between Black Lives Matter coming up and mm-hmm. like people, you know, wanting to know more about this stuff and wanting to be like woke as fuck, right? <laughs> like, you know, I know things. So I think maybe that's bringing up the knowledge mm-hmm. um, people want to know. But overall, nobody actually knows a damn thing. Like in Canada, yeah. nobody knows anything. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, yeah, I think think that's so I think that's crazy that you didn't even like learn about the Underground Railroad. We had to read did it. a whole unit on it. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. I, didn't get, I didn't get anything. Not even like a sentence. And it well, it was funny too because I remember actively when I was in high school, I thought I was going to get like a history degree in university, which uh, I didn't because it turns out you got to know a lot of dates for that. <laughs> that's not what's going on up here. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I was taking all sorts of history classes and even when I would take American history, like we would talk about the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. And it was like, we literally were like, yes, slavery was part of the Civil War, but like, it was about states' rights. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. But like, it's kind of crazy how it gets totally written out. And it's like, what we're going to learn about, I don't know. We watched this whole movie about the Civil War. It was very boring. Um <laughs> <laughs> When you were doing the, like, research for this piece, was there something you learned about Black history in Canada that really shocked you? Yeah. I think it seems like the pretty obvious answer, but I was actually shocked that there were sites. Like, when I say sites, I think, like, what I'm trying to say is you could be driving, say, in Buxton, Mm -hmm. and there's a road, and on this road there are broken down houses Mm -hmm. or, like, half-bulldozed little sites where— settlers used to get together whether it's a church or a bar and like they're there like it's it's kind of haunting actually because like I went in the winter time so mm-hmm. half of, you know it was all like field and farmland so mm-hmm. you're driving through like for example Elgin settlement mm-hmm. which was it like one of the largest settlements in Canada and it's empty right there's nothing there and there's like you'll see like one kind of broken down house and like that's history 
and you don't actually think about those things. Like, mm-hmm. it's one thing to say, like, we have the sites, but it's another thing to see them. Yeah. Like, that of everything, I think, really, really shocked me because it's kind of sad. Like, it's around, but no one is going to see it. Yeah. And when I spoke to the descendants who run the museums, they don't get a lot of visitors. Mm-hmm. They'll maybe get, like, in the summer, they'll get a few more, maybe a dozen. But during an off-season, they get, like, two to three visitors to their museums, which is That's really crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I'm okay. wait, no. Like, I know I'm not good at, I'm not great at math. Yeah. But, like, that can't make any sense. And, they're, yeah. like, all of them are like, no, like, we don't get visitors. And, like, we have at the Black Mecca Museum, the previous executive director, she said, we have a school across the street who know we're here and they have kids. They've never come once to take the students to the museum. So it's just sitting there. Like you're walking in the street, you're walking in residential neighborhoods, <laughs> and there's like there's sites there, like um Marianne Shad Carey, her printing press. Like you can walk down the street, you can grab a burger and like the building is still there. Like that's so cool, but nobody actually wants to, you know, go out and take a look. Considering like I in high school went on a field trip to Honesteds, like let's think oh, about that gosh, for a fucking sorry about second. That. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I mean I got love for honest dads, I gotta say. But, like, think about that for a second. Like, there's all these crazy, interesting and fascinating and, like, full of all this knowledge and information and all these, like, little museums and sites. And, like, no one was ever like, oh, maybe we could just go to that instead of going to, like, gawk at capitalism as a field trip. Like... Man, we are fucked. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's it, right? Like, when you said, like, Honest Eds, I'm like, oh, like, that was the field trip. Yeah. Like, what do you kind of, you know, aside from the history of Honest Eds, what are you getting that will kind of enrich you? And so if you've got a group of students going to Honest Eds, they're like, oh, this is great, whatever, I'll come back here, you know, in, like, 10 years. Yeah, um, and buy some, like, pot. forks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, like, a, you know, statue. Or, like, you can go to a site and you can learn something. There's a student that I spoke to in my piece for Hazlitt, and she said, like, I went to these sites um, in southwestern Ontario when I was in grade eight, and, like, they just changed my life completely. Like, the thing she's doing now, that was the, like, after effect of going to see these sites. Like, she's, like, into leadership and kind of, like, uplifting her own friends, and she's having conversations with her friends about, you know, why are you not interested in Mm -hmm. black history, which she would never would have had if she didn't go see the sites. So, like, you're doing a huge disservice to students who might actually want to see it. And that's not just for black students. That's Mm -hmm. for all students. Yeah. I think a hugely important thing in, like, the movement to get our society to be less racist and less homophobic and less sexist and less transphobic and less all of that stuff. Like, I've always, always, always been a huge proponent of representation. And, like, for me, I'm coming from a, like, representation within the arts. Like, I'm a comedian. Like, we have this thing going on. And, like... When I book shows, like, when we get guests for this show, like, I'm always thinking, like, I mean, I only talk to women on this podcast. And when I book a comedy show, like, I would never book a show that was, like, all white people or, like, all dudes or whatever. Because, like, I know my friends who are, like, racialized people, who are queer, who are trans, who are whatever, you know what I mean? They don't want to go see... Go sit in the audience and see another thing where it's just, like, all white people or all white dudes. Yeah, or yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think that that is so much more important when we're talking about curriculum and we're talking about education and when we're talking about our own history. It's, like, the representation has to be there, too, because then you get people like your friend being, like, oh, shit, my whole – the whole trajectory of my life was changed by knowing that 
I personally have this history. I mean, like one of the biggest problems, I think, is that we're separating black history from Canadian history Mm -hmm. when it's the exact same Mm -hmm. thing. You can go to museums in the city in Ontario and during Black History Month and not see a single black history activity exhibit event. Mm -hmm. Right. It it shouldn't be separate and it shouldn't be only for February. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to write a story about museums and have it come out in February. And Mm -hmm. that's what I was waiting. I was I was like, do I hold off because who's going to be interested? So people have to understand that. But I also think that maybe teachers are afraid to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about black history and people in general are afraid to talk about black Mm -hmm. history. Like we don't know if we should say black or can we say blackness or can we say, you know, some people don't know the difference between African-American and African-Canadian, right? (laughs) Like they don't. So like if people don't know what to talk about or they're scared to talk about it, they're not going to. And then in return, they're not going to go see these these kinds of sites. Yeah. Then we're talking about like a a systemic problem within – higher education so when you get into like university Mm. and stuff it's like okay so where are those teachers who teach high school and who teach elementary school like where are they coming from they're coming from an educational background that doesn't properly equip them to talk about canadian history with that lens to it you know what i mean yeah and then you have kids or students um, who grow up and then they still don't know anything. Like mm-hmm. when I went to um, see the Buxton Museum, mm-hmm. so I left the day of a snowstorm mm-hmm. and I wore these shitty Timberland boots <laughs> that are not waterproof, by the way. They said waterproof. That's why <laughs> oh, I bought them. My Tim's have always been very good to me. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, got mine, I don't even know where I got mine from, but they were just like soaked mm-hmm. and it was my second pair. And so I've got like wet shoes I have, like, one pair of socks and a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. And that's how I went to go report. So I'm, like, sitting huddled in this, like, this hotel room. And, like, before I checked in, so I caused a huge conundrum at um, the the train station because in Chatham-Kent, you call in, you give your name for the cab, and the cab waits for you. Mm-hmm. I wasn't used to that. So I hopped yeah. into a cab, messed everybody up, messed the entire system up. So by the time I got out of there, it was late. I was tired. And... I got to the front and the guy at the reception says, oh, like, what are you here to do? And I said, I'm writing a story about the museums here. And he says, oh, yeah, like we have Uncle Sam's cabin. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, Uncle Sam's cabin in Dresden is one of those uh, like abolitionist sites Mm -hmm. you're talking about. And I'm like, wait, there is something very wrong. If a guy can say Uncle Sam's cabin, it's Uncle Tom's cabin. And I just... I thought he was joking, so I didn't even correct him. But, like, the guy lived, like, he lived there. You know, like, I'm sure, like, he went to school in Chatham, and you know this history's around you, Mm -hmm. and you're calling it Uncle Sam's Cabin. That's crazy. you can't, nobody can get it right, right? So, like, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. Like, in Toronto, we have some of that history, but Mm -hmm. for people who live close to it, if you don't know it, like, you don't know and it's down your street, like, that's such a big problem because in a few years, these sites could be gone. Yeah. Right. And then we are no closer to kind of understanding them or preserving them. Like they're deteriorating. Like right now, as we speak, they're, you know, they're breaking down. Like the sun is just beating on them. They're going to be broken down in a few years. And like what happens then? You know, it's crazy. My mom's family is from Chatham. My mom lives in Chatham right now. And I had. No clue until we sat down today to talk about it. I had no fucking idea. It's everywhere, especially Chatham. It's everywhere. Like it's it is interesting too. Like there is a pretty like 
large, like, black population in Chatham. Yeah. And, like, yeah. my mom, this seemed crazy to me. My, my mom was living on the black side of town. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, wait, what? And then, like, sorry, you just, like, say, like, talking about, like, all these museums and sites in and around there. Mm-hmm. And, like, I had no fucking idea. That's wild to me. Well, the people themselves are the history because, mm-hmm. like, the black population in Chatham, which is so cool, is, like, they're all original descendants mm-hmm. of slaves, of escaped slaves. That's why there's so many. Like, anywhere in southwestern Ontario, even, like, in London, Ontario, mm-hmm. there's still a population yeah. in Windsor. And, like, you can look at them, and, like, they've got these, like, kind of American accents, mm-hmm. some of them. And, like, yeah. they're kind of fair. Like, you know, they may have freckles because, you know, they're all mixed. But they're original descendants. And that's so cool. Oh, my God. Right? You're, like, but- blowing my mind. Right now, sorry. <laughs> <It> <laughs> this is, is really like, cool. re- making me rethink a lot of, like, you going to take Things. a trip back to Chatham? Yeah, fuck it. No, I, <laughs> sorry, Mom. I hate Chatham. <laughs> but it's, it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, like, for an outsider like me, mm-hmm. it's cool. But, like, I want to, like, get down on the ground and just, like, praise the ground because it's such a cool experience. But then it's so sad because all those descendants mm-hmm. who gather in those, like, little black communities are so strong, but they're all old. They're all boom, mm-hmm. baby boomers. After that, wiped out. Yeah, now I want to go back and, like, make my mom take me to all these cool places in and around Chatham. That's fucking wild, man. There's a site in Chatham right by the Black Mecca Museum, Mm -hmm. and they put up, I believe it's a a statue of Marianne Chad Carey, Mm -hmm. who's a journalist, abolitionist journalist, and it's amazing because the park is dedicated to her, and in the winter when I went, somebody actually knitted a pink hat, like a toque, and put it on the statue, and then brought a jacket and, like, put it on the statue. And that's so cute because, like, I mean, like, they really value their history. Like, somebody there at least values that history that's enough. That's really cute. Yeah, it was really, really cute. Like, had the statue, like, dressed up in, like, pink attire. Like, you would never think that someone yeah. would do that. But there's so much respect for the history there. Fascinating. Yeah, man, I always thought everyone kind of had American accents because it was, like, <laughs> close to Detroit and shit. Yeah, well, those, like, all those places on the border, near mm-hmm. the border, that's where escaped slaves would come to and settle into places like Niagara and mm-hmm. Chatham um, because once they were here, I mean, they could be taken back, but somewhere like um, Sandwich First Baptist Church, mm-hmm. which is in Windsor, which I write about, there's actually a trap door in the church still. So this church was built in, like, 1851, I think. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's been redone, but there is a hole in the church, and it's, like, a like a trapdoor, and you lift it. So, like, I was looking into this hole, so what would happen is, like, say, during a mass, there'd be, like, U.S. bounty hunters coming to, like, take slaves back. And so they'd ring the church bell, and people would start, like, singing really loudly as, like, a sign. And the, the, the slaves who had escaped would hop into this hole and, like, jump down the hole and then go through this tunnel. So, like, that's still there. Wow. Yeah. So, like, I mean, a lot of them are American, and that's why the, you know, the accent continues. But wow. But, yeah, like, it's so cool. It's all there, and no one knows about any of this. Man, <laughs> how am I, like, <laughs> like, you're actually just, like, blowing my mind right now. Like, I'm, like, I'm 30. I'm I don't know how to fix this. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do we fix it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, I don't even think I came to a conclusion about how to fix it. Yeah. Because there's no, like, okay, if we had any chance of getting students interested in black history, mm-hmm. it would have been right now with yeah. everything that's going on in the world, right? Like yeah. everything shitty that's happening. I think it would push students to want to know about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think for black students, especially right now, having that kind of history to know, you know, like, 
that your people are great and they've done great things Mm -hmm. would be really beneficial. But now we've got like a gazillion, like who is going to go like take like a a course and go and want to run a museum in like the smallest, like you said, like, you know, shitty little town. Mm -hmm. Who's going to want to do that and make no money when like you have all this stuff in like a big city Mm -hmm. or you've got like. Your phone, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. You're not you're not interested. So we kind of lost that. And like as technology evolves, right? Everyone's on their phone, everyone's mm-hmm. like on the internet, like posting selfies, all mm-hmm. that crap. You're not gonna like why would you wanna go there and do those things? Why would you even take that up as a hobby when you're already so preoccupied with mm-hmm. like your phone or whatever's in front of you? I wonder if there's a way to like use that technology to preserve it in a weird way like I wonder if man I wonder if there was like you could get like a cool grant for going in and like sort of like digitizing like stuff that could be digitized and like having it be I don't know I'm like spitballing someone from the government I hope you're listening do this (laughs) (laughs) yeah big brother (laughs) yeah no you're actually right though like they've been trying like they've been trying to digitize um the archives but there's so much stuff Mm -hmm. like I mean on top of like documents so like they have family trees of every family in southwestern Ontario who's a descendant so you can actually go into these museums and find out if you are related to an escaped slave for example you can do that which is awesome and they'll do it for you um they have you know uh original ankle shackles that were sold that were put on slaves they have branding sticks they have all this cool stuff that is so cool to begin with Mm -hmm. but then to digitize it like you know to get on the internet Mm -hmm. like they're older they're seniors Mm -hmm. they're if you look at their websites right now it's like html Mm -hmm. oh man they need someone we need to get some like some grants going to high schools or to like universities where they like send young people in to like do that shit yeah they've just started actually like they've just begun but i know that the curator at Buxton, Shannon Prince, she said uh, like a few years back that like they had put out like opportunities mm-hmm. for students to come and they don't want to. Like they're not taking it because they don't want to go there, like spend their summer in mm-hmm. Buxton, like on one, you know? Yeah. They don't want to do it. But maybe if some more money is involved. Yeah, right. A little bit yeah. of incentive. Go yeah. for six months or whatever, get some money, a little a little uh a little spending some extra money. credit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. As listeners to this podcast will know, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is Antiques Roadshow. And then I was also watching an episode of 60 Minutes where, because they're building a Black History Museum as part of the Smithsonian. Yes, yeah. Um, And in the episode of Antiques Roadshow, they were like, there's always like, in the older episodes from like, they switched up the branding this year. But in the like previous episodes, there was always a section in the middle where they would go to, like, a museum or somewhere where they were visiting and sort mm-hmm. of, like, talk about the history of that place. And in they were in, like, D.C. or something, and they went to talk to one of the guys who was, like, dealing with the collection of stuff, and he was just like, if you have anything, like, if you have anything, let us know. Do you know what I mean? Right. If you have pieces of history, like, just kicking around your house. They were like, and it was the same on 60 Minutes. The guy was, like, actively reaching out to, like, the populace yeah. and being yeah. like, we don't – so much of this history is not properly documented. We don't – we're missing pieces of it, and we know that it's out there. And, like, they were talking about once they had put that call out, like, how many people showed up and were like, 
oh, we actually have all this crazy shit that we've just been like keeping yeah. in our family for decades and decades and decades and decades. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, I kind of wonder if the same, and I think it's probably for sure true in Canada that people are sort of sitting on all these like things that maybe they don't think are important because like education and all of that kind of stuff hasn't taught them that it's important. Yeah. Well, these museums get a lot of their stuff from, from donations mm-hmm. and um, they'll go out to like auctions where this stuff is being auctioned off. Mm-hmm. So it's there, but the museum's still like, they can bring it back, but it's still not properly preserved either. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, they've, I think recently Chatham, Chatham Kent has like decided that these museums are going to be a part of like their whole like tourism plan. Mm-hmm. So like they'll give them more money. Mm-hmm. But every year they were going in front of a board and saying like, we exist, like we're important for tourism mm-hmm. and we need the money. Mm-hmm. So like they need the money to go buy those things from the auction. So like, you know, if people have that stuff it's great it's mm-hmm. another thing also if people don't know what it is yes right yes. like you could have like a teapot that i don't know maybe some great abolitionist fighter mm-hmm. drank tea from and you wouldn't know and you would yeah. toss it in the garbage so like how much of this stuff is actually like in a dump somewhere yeah too? wow i mean history is always fascinating to me in the sense that like yeah so much of it is about documenting and like what people think is, like, important at the time, like, what people keep, what people right. hold on to, and then, like, what what we want when we're looking for, like, historical sources, historical, like, sort of items, all of that kind of stuff. It's interesting to see, like, what gets kept and what doesn't. Yeah, and it's interesting to know, too. I mean, like, on top of that, you could be a descendant of escaped slaves. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have all that in your family, mm-hmm. but, like, I mean, some people don't even know they're black, like, right? So, like, you wouldn't even know that. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you're going to go anywhere this summer, like, you know, skip the cottage Mm -hmm. and go down there and, like, check it out for yourself and see what's there. And if there's any way that people can, you know, go through their stuff. And, I mean, you can have a whole box of stuff you might not know where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. But if you take it to one of these places, they could tell you. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, That's also just, like, a cool service that they provide. It's cool, yeah. It's super cool. You can't just, like, roll up to the AGO and be like, y'all got this painting? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know where this is from? Man, I'm so interested in the idea of leveling that playing field in terms of, like, access to, like, culture and institutions. And, yeah. well, Canada's a weird one, too, because, like, if you're in Britain or whatever, like, if you're in the UK, like, my understanding is that you – and, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Edgman. Can't you just, like, go to the Tate? Isn't that shit, like, free in most of Europe? It is. It is. And I think that, like, that's the case in, like, a lot of Europe is that, like – those museums are free and open mm-hmm. to the public. And it's like, make those institutions that have all that money and all that prestige and all that cultural cachet and stuff, like, make that shit free. Make that shit free for people under the age of 25. Yeah. I have, like, such a bone to pick with these, like, institutions who say, like, hey, you've got the adult price, mm-hmm. which is, like, $35. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the student price, which is, like, 30 mm-hmm. or 25 I still cannot afford $25. Like, it's unfortunate because, I, you know, that should be free. That kind of knowledge should be free. But then I have to decide, do I want to pay $25 and go see, like, you know, Pompeii exhibit today? Or do I want to eat a great meal and then, like, take the subway somewhere? Like, right? Like, that's my choice. I'm obviously going to choose the food because, like, it's food. (laughs) But, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And you can't—and I don't think they will do— anything about that 
like, I guess that's the easiest way to, like, make a buttload of money. Yeah, but, like, okay, so, like, in my in my story, I kind of break down just a little bit about, like, the funding that larger museums mm-hmm. get versus, like, these museums, these tiny abolitionist museums. And, like, somewhere like the ROM, for example, has, like, million-dollar donations. Mm-hmm. They have a gift shop. They have admissions, mm-hmm. right? Which, like, for, like, a family of four will just cost you. That's, like, your yeah. entire week savings, yeah. right? So, like, they get all this money, and yet their admissions are so high. Mm-hmm. But then you've got somewhere, like, a smaller museum that doesn't get any of that. Or, like, you know, the people, they've got, like, two staff members. They're mm-hmm. living off, like, scraps. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing all those roles that a larger museum can do. Mm-hmm. So if a smaller museum like that, who doesn't get, you know, admission, who doesn't have anything, who has, like, several thousand dollars left over after they pay their expenses, if they can still run and run well, there's no reason why a larger institution cannot lower their prices because mm-hmm. they're not going to take that big of a dent. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, but I don't think they will, right? Like, it's working for them. Yeah. So... Yeah, right. And they're never going to stop getting those, like, million-dollar funding from, like, wealthy, like, philanthropist-y type people because, like, that's a great way if you're, like, a rich person to be like, I'm funding the arts. Do you know what I mean? And putting my name on a building. Yeah. Yeah. Let me throw this money at this, like, thing and I've I've done it. You know what I mean? Like, look at me being a, like, great person. Yeah, I don't know. As per usual, I think my answer to all of this is we got to burn it all down and start again. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, don't I'm burn really... the artifacts or the art. That's like not <laughs> Leave what I'm... Leave that. Spare <laughs> like, that. Please do not, do not misinterpret this and like <laughs> say that I'm out here saying you got to burn art. That's not what I mean. I mean the system. It's like a metaphor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I'd like to thank you for coming because this was great. This is a lovely Sunday morning chat. Thank you. You should take a visit to Chatham. Make sure you do. Yo, I actually like bus. my my mom would be first of all fucking delighted if I just showed up in Chatham. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, who knew? I no one was ever taking me to the cool places in Chatham. I've been to the gross mall. I've been to the Christian bookstore. Uh, and I got to tell you, two worst places in Chatham. <laughs> all right, yo, thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Uh, I I really appreciate you coming out. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey, y'all. I would love to thank Eternity Martis for coming through. Wonderful conversation. Wonderful woman. I really learned a lot. Cavern of Secrets is brought to you by Hazlitt. It's hosted by me, Lauren Mitchell. Our theme music was made by Bianca Giulione. Cavern is produced by my dear friend and all-around wonderful human, Anjuman Itamsetti. You can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. We are literally everywhere on these internet tubes. You can find our website, cavernofsecrets.com, or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Cavern of Secrets. If you like us, and if you like what we are doing, you could rate us on iTunes, uh, and you could also wander on over to a little website called nowmagazine.com and vote for us in their reader's choice poll. Uh, We're currently shortlisted for best Toronto podcast and if you could throw us a vote that would be great. Stuff like that helps people find us. It helps us up, up our place in people's minds so that's super important. I'd love you forever if you did it. One more time I'm Laura Mitchell. I really appreciate you listening and I'll see you in a couple weeks.